You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by old people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof here on 3CR 855 AM. This is the Housing for the Age Action Group show. My name is Shane. I'm here with Fiona. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Fiona? <laughs> uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, today we're going to hear the first part of our kind of end of year wrap up. Um, I know it's hard to believe we're going to devote two episodes to the end of the year, but it's been such a quiet time with nothing of any note happening, but we've squeezed that lemon dry. Um, so today we are going to hear clips from um, some of our most notable broadcasts of the year. Uh, and then next uh, in two weeks' time, we'll be back and we'll um, talk some more specifically about HAG and what this year has been like for us, our accomplishments, um, our, you know, the, the things that we'll be working on into the new year. Um, so, Fiona, what yes. is the first clip that we're going to hear today? Okay. Okay. So, the first clip we're going to hear, you might remember the year of From Hell 2020 started with a um, catastrophic bushfire in East Gippsland. And in February, I interviewed the assistance with care and housing worker, Val Marshall, who was describing what it was like um, to be in the fire and to be supporting the people in evacuation centres in Bansdale. So we'll hear from Val now. Um, it was a quite surreal, I would have to say. Um, like, I didn't get to see the fireballs, but I saw the massive plumes of smoke. Um, I had taken some equines into the Bansdale sale yard so you could see all the other evacuated horses and cattle. Yeah. Um, I did go over to the relief centre when I wasn't working and saw a lot of the people that had been evacuated and that was quite, really quite devastating and they were quite raw, as you can imagine, in their emotions. Um, very yeah. upsetting to lose your property and had to, you know, leave so quickly. Um, a lot of a lot of smoke around for lots of days. Even on Saturday, last Saturday, there was still smoke coming. I think that was probably from maybe around Canberra and also Marlow and um, Cape Conran. So even though we're not getting evacuations now, there's still you know we'll often get smoke and we're still conscious that it's going on. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So those evacuation centres they got set up pretty pretty quickly, didn't they? Because no one really saw this coming. So I well, guess people were driving from all sorts of places to get down to Bansdale. Can you describe what it was like down at those evacuation centres? Um, look, there were some amazing things going on too, but there was also some probably um, quite understandably frustrated people. Yeah. Um, the, the council was um, overseeing overseeing it. There was um, DHHS was there, um, and probably that included Centrelink too, so trying to provide services, trying to do claims for people. 
Um, t tents were eventually allocated. People might have been sleeping in the cars for a little bit initially. There was amazing... Um, this, you might have seen on the news that um, some of the Sikh members who oh, brought yeah. down and cooked free vegetarian meals was just absolutely amazing. Then I've heard stories of people in Bansdale that had excess vegetables just dropping them off so they'd be converted to meals. Yeah. I um, ended up with two clients in the relief centre. Um, the first one had been sleeping in his car in the Waiwira area, which is near Orbost. And he had to evacuate very quickly. Um, luckily, saved his car, but lost um, um, other other belongings. Uh, another client who was in um, Caravan Park in Lake Entrance, he'd been evacuated too, but he was there for a lesser period. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it would have been a pleasant experience, but I guess um, you got some supplies and some supports um, after having lost your house, which would have been devastating. Uh, so back in April, on the 8th of April, uh, we put out a show about older renters and COVID where we heard from some HAG members about how their experiences of, uh, of COVID and the lockdown compared to some of their other experiences. Um, so let's hear that clip. Uh, do you guys mind me asking how or saying how old you all are? Do you care? Maeve here, I'll be 82 in August. And, and I'll be 82 in August. Maeve and I are, are twins. Really? Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Both the same day? What, what date are you, uh, Phil? A week after you. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the 23rd of August. Oh. Oh. And I'm, I'm the baby. My, I'm 77 on the 24th of May. Oh, wow. So you guys were born in the, what, 30s? Is that right? 38 for me. 40s. 40s. Yeah. Yes. No, nineteen thirty-eight was just the beginning of World War Two. Yeah, that's right. Nineteen thirty-nine, the war started. So you guys, yeah. even though you were babies, have lived through the Second World War. Yeah. And, and surely your parents as well would be have remembered. Um, I guess the previous, um, well, not maybe not the pandemic from the what? When was the last one? Nineteen eighteen. Well, yeah, there yeah. was a Spanish flu that came after World War One. Yeah. Um, but there was things like polio and measles that hit after World War Two. Mm, polio was really, really a big one, wasn't it? Polio, I can remember pushing one of the kids in the next street up to school in one of those um, uh, beds with bicycle wheels on it, you know, and Dennis had quite a, quite a few years, you know. So, yeah, polio was pretty pretty much one of the big things in those days. And now, thanks to the Rotary Club, it, it, it sort of made it, the world polio free just about which is wonderful yeah so um but myself uh, at, at this age 82 i think to myself now and then there's nothing kind of new with uh, being uh, isolated and having to be careful with what you have to do in the house because i i grew up as you would know on a farm in far north queensland and that meant that I grew up with hurricane lamps and wood fire and goodness knows what. So, you know, there was no electricity, there was no real vehicles to drive around in and, you know. So I used to be times. Yeah. And what about you guys, Pam and Maeve? Do you, well, think Maeve any, do you think sort of growing up in a different time has made it easier for you to cope with the isolation? Because none of you sound like you're freaking out where I'm seeing a lot of younger people um, probably not coping as well yeah. with isolation. So do you think there's, you know, lessons learned from, from the past that you're drawing on? 
sorry. Uh, I think it's made a big difference because um, as I was like uh, 43, 48 when I started school and in those five years I remember having ration tickets and you know, mum having to um, uh, dish out bread and jam for lunch because there was nothing else available and all that. And I think it did help. And, and then, of course, um, I saw a lot of people go through that that age group, go through that um, eating whatever and getting you know, overweight and that because they couldn't have it when they were younger. But, you know, but it does stick in your mind. And now um, it's easy to go back into that mode. Of, you know, you, well, I've got to save this and I've got to save that and I, I can't be over extravagant with that sort of food and blah, 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 you know. So, so way back in May of this year, we interviewed Liam Davies, who's a researcher from RMIT, and he had done some... Um, analysis of the government selling off of parcels of land that could be used for public housing. And now, a mere six months mm. later, <laughs> we've had a big announcement of the housing build, which we talked about in our last show, um, where the government is again talking about investing in social housing, um, when actually most of that's going to private developers and community housing. Um, but in this clip, you'll hear Liam talking about the long-term neglect of the public housing sector and the benefit of using um, what land the government does own for public housing. So we'll hear about, um, we'll hear it from him now. And if you want to listen to that show, it was broadcast on the 13th of May this year. Questions for public housing? Sure. So we've been looking at government land sales from 2000 until 2018. And this is land that has been owned by government that's been deemed surplus to requirement. And in total, over 500 sites have been sold within metropolitan Melbourne and almost 600 hectares of land. And we've been trying to identify what parcels of these could have been used for housing. And around 80% of it is residential or residential suitable land. These pockets of land that you've mentioned, they're all in city of Melbourne, Melbourne um, district and relatively connected in terms of services? Uh, so they're all in metropolitan Melbourne. Some of them are in a bit of the outer eastern suburbs, but a lot of them are primary school sites. So typically primary school sites will be surrounded by other residential areas and have other close amenity to them. So we feel that all of them would be needed. But to be perfectly honest, we have such a shortage of public housing in this city in this state that it doesn't really matter where you build it now it's needed basically everywhere i think that what's happened is that we've seen a a reframing of public housing towards a last resort welfare housing and this is part of a process termed residualization which has really been occurring since the mid-90s and what's happened is the system just hasn't grown at all since the late 1990s we still have the same our public housing in 2020 as we did in 1998 <clears throat> and it's not one government it's every state government and it's also an Australian-wide problem and what that meant is that governments just aren't used to that capital investment in social housing <clears throat> so we see things like stimulus packages come up around economic crises such as the GFC where billions was poured into social housing but that's over a very short time span what we haven't seen is those long-term, long-vision construction programs that we saw in the post-war period, such as Commonwealth State Housing Agreement, which was in force for about 50 years. 
And that's what I think we really need to wrap our head around is that public housing isn't something that you build when you have a crisis. Public housing is something you need to continually invest in, like the public school system, like the public health system, like public libraries. These need to be continually built as society and the community grows. Uh, you're still listening to 3CR 8.55am. This is Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show. And today we're sharing some hits and memories, uh, clips from our best and most important shows of the year as we reflect on what 2020 has been for older people's housing issues. The um, There's been a lot to criticise this year. I mean, certainly things to praise, but also a lot to criticise in the way the Andrews government has handled the pandemic. Um, especially around housing stuff, we've, we've often been critical. Um, but surely the, the worst and most shameful aspect of the handling of the pandemic in Victoria was the hard lockdown of public housing towers, which saw public tenants across a range of sites uh, literally trapped in their own homes, um, something that didn't happen to, to any other communities in Victoria. Um, the hard lockdown is something that we talked about a fair bit on the show and we're going to hear now from some HAG staff, HAG support, housing support workers, outreach workers, um, about how their clients were faring under the hard lockdowns. Um, this is from the 8th of July this year, if you want to hear more. Yeah, so I've spoken to uh, seven clients who, you know, lives in um, to, to the, you know, the over 55 um, public housing building. Um, in Merrill Street and Pamper Street. Um, most of the clients that I got in those buildings are, you know, the Mandarin speaking clients. Um, apparently, you know, like they, because of the English, uh, they, they don't speak English, um, the language barrier. Um, yeah, so they were pretty shocked at the, you know, in the beginning, but um, yeah, but they have like this, uh, you know, the WeChat group, you know, where they, you know, they receive like the Chinese news, like it's, it's a social media, you know, they, so they use that as a source, you know, to, to understand, you know, what actually happened and, you know, to get information. Um, so yeah, they, they know this is about the, the virus and they are quite understanding about, you know, about the lockdown and they, they believe it is, uh, yeah, it is a uh, necessary, you know, if it's, you know, if they got uh, people infected in the building, you know, do you have to lock the whole building down? And so, um, so quite understanding uh, about the situation and, um, and because, you know, the, 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 the lock, this similar lockdown is also, you know, what they did in China. So they are quite, uh, you know, they quite understand, you know, oh, why, why this is, you know, uh, why the government has to do it. Um, yeah, so they are they're quite understanding about it um, and they are thankful for the support from the government and, you know, uh, to extend the rent and, you know, um, and also, you know, the, the extra payment, you know, uh, because of the lockdown, they very appreciate that. And also there's some people, they are feeling very frustrated um, and, um, disappointed uh, because of the lack of the communication between uh, from the from the department um, and yeah and also um, uh, they are feeling stuck uh, because um, most of us um, most of you may 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 know um, you know the public 
housing property is not is not a big you know it's a one bedroom property um, and some of them are living in like a bed seat like a studio apartment so it's very t- uh, tiny tiny little space for them you know uh, for them to live um, and if you have to you know uh, stuck in there for 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 two weeks and it is uh, yeah um, very hard for the people who lives in there um, and yeah there's uh, also uh, there's a lack of information about how how could they get help in the beginning you know um, the governments uh, uh, gave the, the people you know like the one eight one eight hundred number uh, for them to call as um, as a first as a you know the um, general contact if you need any food or if you need any help you can call that one eight hundred number um, but people um, not knowing about their number uh, and uh, those number, uh, you you can only get that you know they they only get those number you know from the police you know when they when they try to you know um, get help and there's no no staff from the in some of the building there's no staff from the department on site so if they are if they need uh, something you know they they don't know where to find those people who could help. So they ask the police and the police give them the, give them the 1-800 number. And then they call the number and, you know, it was a long wait, you know, it could be like uh, half an hour, you know, or, the, or you know, two hours. Um, and yeah, and for those uh, people non, from non-English speaking background, they were, they just keep hearing the music and you know and some someone is speaking in english and they don't know what is that about you know they were confused like oh is that the right number you know what you know why is it so long why it takes so long and no one answering my call um yeah so there's a lot of confusion i've got five clients that live in between the two older persons properties so I've been calling all of them um, yesterday and today just to check in and see how they're doing since this lockdown on Saturday. And um, it seems like there are mixed feelings. Not everyone has the same um, outlook on this. I know that it, it's definitely been stressful across the board. I can um, say that for sure. I, um, I had one client who only recently moved in. So it's been about two months and he, um, he was in particular quite stressed about what's happening. And he said he feels like he's in jail, um, that he, he had no idea what was going on. It just happened one afternoon and, um, you know, he'd heard loud voices on the loudspeakers and, people shouting phone numbers and what's happening. So initially I think he, he sounded um, more confused and frustrated about it on Monday. And then when I spoke to him again today on Tuesday, he seemed a bit more understanding about what's happening. But again, he uh, now feels unsafe there. Um, He's concerned about the spread and he's wishing to transfer out of the building. So, you know, he, he understands, he said that he understands it's for safety reasons and to, to ensure that people don't get sick. But um, I think with all the 
police presence and everything he said that he feels at high risk there of getting sick. So um, he was quite uncomfortable about it. Since the hard lo uh, lockdown started without notice, they felt lots of fear because they didn't know what was happening on Saturday. And then they were also concerned about how to get access to to the essential things that they were going to need during that time, food, medicines, and all the things that you can need at your place. So, so uh, yes, they, they reported that. They also reported that the only food that they got on, on Sunday um, was a, a box that was left in the hold with frozen food. Um, but they only got a message on the speaker at 10.30 p.m. that it was very late at night, so no many people could get access to this food. They, uh, I spoke to them today, and they have informed me that they, everything has been improved since Saturday. In terms of the food, they got a box with a standard food, and they got fresh food, and they were happy of this, they prefer fresh food rather than frozen food. They got fruits, vegetables, meals, cereal, uh, rice, pasta, tuna, all that things. Uh, there was like lots of fear. Uh, they were feeling like in jail. However, because of their age, they understand that everything is like a control and a way to protect everyone in the community and to avoid the spread of the virus. So it depends of everyone. Uh, from my experience, I could like with the clients, I can, I can see different positions. One of them were experiences that they were like uh, feeling in jail, but the other one was like feeling like thankful for the, for the measures that they were taking. So there are like two positions in this from what I could see. So the client was going out. She was said that uh, they were in detention and detention is a very hard work and it is quite similar to a word in Spanish that it means that they have made something wrong and they are in detentions because something that they did illegally. So, so it, uh, impacted in her emotionally because she didn't know what was exactly happening to to them so this year hag was sorry to lose um our 30-year veteran uh former manager former tenant advocate former caseworker former pretty much everything around the organization jeff fiedler uh, who retired earlier this year the um episode where we got to hear Jeff's reflections on that pretty amazing career in housing activism uh, came out on the 11th of March. Uh, definitely worth a listen, especially if you're interested in the history of uh, public housing activism, especially. We are going to hear specifically about that. Uh, my favourite part, talking about campaigns to prevent, uh, campaigns and pickets, uh, blockades to prevent the eviction of public housing tenants in the 90s. Um, important lessons here for today. Uh, especially if we're going to face uh, a massive wave of evictions when the so-called moratorium ends in March next year. Um, so have a listen. The 80s was a 
quite a vibrant time in terms of activism in the housing sector. Mm-hmm. And probably the strongest campaign we had in the West, where I, I worked at Brave Maidstone Public Tenants Union, uh-huh. uh, with Roger Taylor, who's a lot of people will know. Roger is a long-term housing activist. And April Bragg, and April was involved back in those days, um, who's not long been out of HAG as well. Mm-hmm. And one of our big campaigns was um, to stop lots of evictions that were happening in public housing. Mm-hmm. And we had a policy across the board in the community sector that uh, anyone who was in rent arrears shouldn't be evicted, mm-hmm. because if they're in rent arrears, there's a reason for that. The government needed to get to the bottom of you know what, what the right. person's problem was. Yeah. That, they were getting behind in their rent. Violence and that sort of thing was a different matter, but for rent arrears, we didn't accept that. We went so far as to um, to develop um, anti-eviction squads mm-hmm. where, and I can re- vividly remember the day that sort of turned my mind around about um, how important this was. I remember we defended a flat of a, a woman with two kids and we physically defended her place. We, we mm-hmm. actually had cupboards up against the front door. The cops came along and the Office of Housing were there smashing through the door with axes mm-hmm. to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, it was covered by the news. It was all over ABC and commercial TV that night. We had um, people like Paul Adams and Colleen Hartland, who was a Greens MP, uh-huh. um, filmed clinging onto uh, the bull bar of a removalist truck as it's driving <laughs> this person's furniture away. But then I remember going with this woman who was evicted um, and her two little boys, they were both, you know, about uh, five or six years of age Mm -hmm. and going into the local office of housing area office. And I had a little, one little boy on each knee with, with his, their mum next to, next to me. And we just said, we are not leaving this office until you uh, house these people because they were so distressed. It was such an awful experience and they were <laughs> taken aback by that and the, the officer went back into uh, the the bowels of their office and area manager came out and started to try and negotiate with us and by that stage I was able to get a message out to other people to come into the office mm-hmm. and the upshot of all that was that we occupied the office for about two days mm-hmm. and locked ourselves into their offices on this demand that um these people needed to be housed. Mm-hmm. And that was one of a number of other groups, public tenant groups, that were defending people on their estates at the time. And there were a number of occupations of area officers that even escalated to um, occupations of the minister's office, which in those days was at 250 Elizabeth Street, <laughs> uh, almost on the corner of, I think, Lonsdale Street in Elizabeth. Uh-huh. Um, yep. I think they're now student apartments or something like mm, that. That'd be right. We had a picket line out the front. Um, people will know the great author Frank Hardy. Yes. Frank Mm. Hardy had a radio program. I think it was on 3KZ or something like that at the time, Mm. a nighttime program. He came down and supported our picket line. (laughs) Um, I remember uh, going and picking up Frank from his place and (laughs) taking him back after the picket line each day. Um, And, yeah, there were the the minister's advisors at the time included Richard Wynne, who's the current housing minister. Mm -hmm. Oh. (laughs) And so... You know, it was real battle lines drawn at that stage. Mm. And, you know, we we fought very hard for that policy. We didn't achieve it. Um, in the end, the government defunded basically all the public tenant groups. We were banned from entering uh, Office of Housing area offices from that point onwards. And that, that ban 
covered a number of people, went on for many years. And that was a Labor government that did that? It was a Labor government. Barry Pullen was the housing minister at the time. Joan Kerner was the premier. Mm -hmm. So it was in the dying days of the that uh, Labor government before the, the draconian tenant <laughs> government came in and things got even worse from so there. So this, this lady... Did they tell her what they were doing with her furniture and all that sort of thing and, you know, no, nothing, no. nothing? They, they were so organised. I mean, they just had the removalist truck there, dragged all the furniture just out. Just vigilante. Take it, it off to, yeah. to mm. storage somewhere God. and just leave this person with that, her little traumatic. kids just um, crying on the, yeah. on the doorstep. Yeah, that's just, awful. Just appalling. Yeah. I mean, you know, these things are still happening today. Yes. That's the thing. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, I guess that's the key, that back in those days there was strong activism. There was a strong squatters' union at the time mm -hmm. too. So mm. in that situation where someone was evicted from their housing, the next stage after us being there was the squatters' union would come in, yeah. retake the place, and and people would move in and, and live there So because mm. we didn't believe that there should be any un unoccupied properties. So that's about all we've got time for this this week. Thanks very much for listening. Um, those were some highlights from our broadcast over the last year. Um, if you want to check out some of those shows, you can find the podcast all up on the 3CR website or the HAG website, which is oldertenants.org.au. This is the part of the show where I give you our phone number if you'd like to get in touch. So grab your pen and paper. Um, if you're an older person in Victoria with a housing issue, um, whether that's our current accommodation, future accommodation, uh, whatever it is you need, or you'd like to get more involved with the organisation in terms of our kind of political policy and lobbying work, um, our activism, then give us a call. The number is 1300 765 178. Uh, again, it's 1300 765 178. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter, um, or like I said, our website is oldertenants.org.au. Um, Fiona, are we going to hear a song? Yes, we are. We're going to hear a song today um, from Alice Bowman and it's called Waiting. Um, so we'll hear that now. Hi. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. <laughs>